Hi, everyone. You're listening to Smarter Business Finance, episode number eight, how to choose an equipment financing partner. Are you a small business owner looking to take your skills to the next level? Interested in getting real information about financing business equipment and business loans without the worry of getting scammed? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Smarter Business Finance Podcast with your host, Rob Michelin. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to talk to an industry friend of mine, uh, Craig Calling, and he's with a company called Paramount Financial. Now, they're a direct competitor of ours, and you might think I'm crazy for hosting a competitor on the show, but you know what? When I started the business, a lot of folks thought I was crazy to tell people the truth about their rates, and that's worked out pretty well so far. So I think it's important to give you other perspectives. And someone who's a good guy, I'd like to welcome on the show. So here we go. Here's the interview. Okay, everybody. We're here talking with Craig Calling of Paramount Financial. And Craig's actually a competitor of mine. But we share a common goal, and that, that's bringing transparency and education to the industry and, more importantly, being very passionate about uh, whether someone's our customer or not, not letting them get screwed. So, Craig, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Paramount and you and your experience in the industry? Absolutely, Robin. First off, thanks for having me on the podcast. I've, you, know, you and I connected about two years ago. I was connected on LinkedIn, went to your website, and... It was a breath of fresh air. I just want to give you that compliment in terms of how you represent the industry. So that's how you and I connected. Uh, there needs to be, in general, we've, we've talked about it a lot, just more transparency, the vendor side, the customer side. So sure. I want to start off with, with that. Yeah, I'll give you a quick background of myself and Paramount. So we've been in operation since 2000. I've actually been with the company since 01. So the name of our business is Paramount Financial Services. We are both a direct lender and a syndicator or broker for all types of equipment. And so we fund typically somewhere between 20 to 50 million in equipment a year. So we're not, you know, the biggest dog on the block, but we're, we're definitely, uh, you know, pretty well known in the industry, but specifically on the, the vendor side of things, you know, vend- vendors that refer leasing financing to customers. And we focus on several different industries that we've had a lot of success with. So we're not involved in, uh, as you know, you know, there's so many industries you can finance, uh, we've got about four or five that we we focus on. Uh, my own background, I'm a uh, to those listening, I'm a U of A grad. Go go Wildcats! I don't know if any listeners or uh, attend or went to a U of A in Tucson. Uh, right out of school, started in the leasing business. My my uh, my father was in the computer leasing world. That's how I had an interest in this business, and it's fun. I, I, you know, it's challenging. You learn something every day. You're negotiating with. CEOs, CFOs, and equipment suppliers. So you learn a lot. You learn something every day. So that's a little bit about myself and and the company. So, uh, Craig, what are the the industries that you spent? You, you mentioned four industries. What, what are the industries that you you're, you have the most knowledge in, or, or like to specialize in the most? Yeah, happy to share that. And and in Paramount as a company, we technically could finance any type of equipment, but. Most leasing guys I talk to, they, they, they focus on a few industries, try to get some traction in whether that's attending trade shows or networking events to, because the better you understand the equipment you're financing, the better, the more value you're adding to your, your vendor relationship, the people that are selling the equipment. So, uh, we've done a lot in the medical, uh, medical industry. So x-rays, x-ray systems, um, hospital medical equipment. Also, med spas, so lasers, medical lasers, IPL devices, 
all sorts of devices in that industry and everything associated with a medical spa too. So the, the furniture, the sign, the sign for the building that we have a lot of traction with specific vendors there. Uh, we do a lot in the printing and embroidery world as well. So laser engraving, printing, embroidery machines, that industry we find to be more competitive, but we've been at it for 10 plus years. So you, you develop a, a few key partners and, and that drives a lot of our business. We go to a lot of trade shows with some of those vendors and support them at shows and also fitness. So okay. tre- treadmills, uh, free weights. So that that's a very mature industry as well in terms of well-known, in terms of customers can secure financing through banks and other leasing companies, but we have, uh, you know, we go to a lot of those conferences as well. So I could rant, rat, rattle off a few more, but those are the probably truthfully drive about probably 50 to 60% of our portfolio, our, our business annually. Okay. okay. And, uh, you know, Craig, there's a, the first question anyone who's in the industry gets asked by somebody else in the industry, and I'll, I'll define these, these two terms for the listeners, but uh, you'll, the first thing you'll get asked is, do you do end-user business or vendor business? And end-user business is kind of what we do a lot of, although we do do a lot of vendor business, but end-user means somebody who's not coming to you through the seller of the equipment, like at a dealership looking to buy XYZ equipment and just a referral where vendor business literally is that referral where someone's shopping and they say, well, do you have financing? And they get handed an application or a link to a website. And in the industry lingo, that's referred to as vendor business. So are you a, a end user shop or a vendor shop or a little bit of both? At this point, that's a great question, and, and I'd love to share more on that idea as well. We we are a vendor shop, so I would say, no exaggeration, 95% of our business is refer, is referred by equipment manufacturers or dealers. Our sales team literally spends their day cultivating, you know, calling and connecting with equipment suppliers to try to create referral relationships. We did start out, a really quick point, we started out as an end-user-driven business where literally we were cold calling small businesses all day. Do you need financing? Yes or no. You know, sure. obviously a little bit more than that, but just a simple question to businesses and, and then sending them, you know, a fax or an email with our information. The reason why we transitioned to the being a vendor driven business is because it, when you have that vendor partnership, you have a higher likelihood of essentially facilitating the, the transaction for the client because you're referred. There's a there's an inherent trust there, but that trust is earned. So now the leasing company, myself and my company, we're now accountable to both the customer and the vendor to provide a high level of service to retain that relationship. So we take pride in, as you do, Rob, doing business the right way to to cultivate those relationships and keeping them. That's the key, right? Sure. So we'll talk, I know we'll talk more about that today. Okay. So if a vendor is looking for a financing partner. What sort of things should they be looking for? Are there kind of some maybe three to four key things that are the most important that you need to look for in that relationship? Absolutely. And and I I really empathize for equipment suppliers in terms of how do you decide who – it's such a big decision. I mean, number one, the key question, if you're an equipment supplier, dealer, distributor, should you even offer financing? Or should you just say, you know what, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer – Find your financing on your own. I don't want to deal with that. And that's we, we actually face that a lot when we interface with vendors. They've either had a bad experience or, you know, they just don't want to deal with that side of the business. So that's that's number one is the first question is, do you want to even offer financing? 
Um, most vendors that I deal with ultimately find the answer is yes, because essentially you're you're probably retaining and closing more sales versus if, for example, if, if a vendor's competitors offer financing and you're not, that you, you may lose a sale over not offering financing. So the biggest, number one is, should you offer financing? I would say yes, I'm biased. I'm, I know you're biased as well, but that's a, a key question. After the after you got over that hurdle, then you have to deal with the, the bigger hurdle of who do you work with? I mean, you, they probably get solicited daily, more than once a day from banks, leasing companies like like our companies and other lenders. So, so how do you decipher? So I'll answer your question. I, I would do a tremendous due diligence. I would I would research some basics like Better Business Bureau, Manta.com. I would actually Google the name of the bank or leasing company along with ripoff, ripoff or ripoff report sure. and see, see if any see if anything shows up. Less the better in that example. I would also be wary of companies, banks or leasing companies, but more so leasing companies that are newer in business, less than five years. Not that that's a bad thing. I don't I don't want to discredit newer leasing companies. We all we all start somewhere, but more experience the better. I would also um, another point would be to ask the equipment leasing or finance provider for a pretty detailed reference sheet. Who who are, you, who are the if you're a broker, who are your funding sources? Number one, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a direct lender, outside of who your funding sources are, have a gr- very good understanding of where their money comes from. Are they a bank? Do they secure money from private equity? And then more so with references, ask them for other vendor and customer references that you can call and interview yourself to identify with their experience. And of course, they're probably going to provide references that give them a good reference, but you never know. You may learn some things about them. So those are some initial things you should do. The other thing I'd mention is before a vendor locks into a contractual relationship with a lender or even a long-term referral relationship, the, the first few transactions, make sure that they've essentially make sure they've got nothing to hide. I actually, what I say to my vendor relationships is I, I'm going to, with the customer's permission, CC the vendor on all communication. See how that leasing company communicates with your customer. See what their rates are. Of course, they're going to provide you a marketing sheet with what their published rates are. But Rob, as you and I know, there's the A paper rates, and then there's the B, C, and D rates that go along with different types of credit profiles we can finance. So it's very important, in my opinion, for that vendor to have a very good understanding of all communication that's happening between leasing company and customer rates, terms, documents, and thing, all, all, all of those things. And then the most important thing, if I'm a, if I'm a vendor, is how, how are they going to get paid? So, for example, some brokers, not all, but some brokers don't have the ability to offer any pre-funding. They don't have the ability to pay a vendor before they ship. Sure. Most vendors, I, I'm sure, I know you have this experience as well, most vendors I deal with, they require some type of funding up front, whether it's 50% or sometimes even 100% before they ship the equipment. Absolutely. Even if, even if a customer wasn't financing, the customer would have to prepay at least a portion before the equipment ships. So very important last point to make is make sure you understand the leasing company that's listening to you that wants to work with you. How do they do business? What is their process? And, and a good leasing company, should, everything I just commented on in terms of questions Red flag would be if they were resistant to any of those questions. If Rob, Rob, Smarter Finance, or Craig was dealing with it, myself was dealing with a vendor, we would love to provide that information. That's going to show that vendor that we know what we're doing and we're excited to work with them. So if there's any resistance to any of that, specifically on the transparency side, 
you know, that's a, that would be a red flag to me. You bet. One, one thing I want to touch on, you mentioned a, an important question for a vendor to ask being where they're getting their money from. Can you expand on why they should care and what's important to look out for? Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably other than, you know, making sure your leasing finance partner is an ethical group. That's the next that, that your question about being whether they're a bank direct lend, and or direct lender or broker is just important to understand. I do want to. I always I find it interesting that the word broker sometimes gets a, a negative connotation in, in, in our world, right? Consumer world, mortgage broker, finance broker. It doesn't have to be. It's just understanding so from a vendor's perspective, just understanding the lender's programs, rates, terms, and process is what I what I focus on if, is when I speak with vendors. So that what a vendor should be asking a leasing company is if they're a bank, which all of us as consumers think, oh, that they're a bank, that's a good thing. Yes and no. So we assume, and it's probably a safe assumption, that a bank will offer very competitive rates to their customers. That's a good thing. The challenge, though, that a bank may have, and this is why some, some vendors have more, more than one funding partner, a bank being one of them, is a bank can get that AAA credit transaction done with a very low interest rate, probably similar to mortgage rates, say sure. somewhere between 5 to 7%. But they, they probably don't fund the startup business or the challenge credit. So that now if you're the vendor and you only partnered with a bank, you're probably turning away a lot of transactions. You may lose business. So that's, that's one challenge with maybe a bank, only partnering with a bank. A direct lender could mean a variety of things. A direct lender could be a bank. A direct lender could be a company similar to my company, Paramount, where you have a, a partnership with a private equity firm. So your money's not coming from a bank. It's, it's sourced through private equity where the, the, cost, the cost of funds could be just as low as a bank, you know, in that, say, 5 to 7% range. But the key there with the direct lender is same thing. What credit profile are they, are they, are they going after, whether that be – only eight, only high level credits, or is it also new businesses, challenge credits? And then the broker side, which I'm going to take a positive spin on, on the broker world. If, if I was a vendor and, and a leasing company called you and they say that they're a broker, don't assume that's a negative thing. They may be able, able to source bank products along with, you know, the syndicated products through, which are funding sources for brokers where they can source money for all types of credit profiles. So in reality, Depending on the, the leasing company you partner with, you may have two, three, or four partners, depending on the credit window that you need to serve, or you can partner with, you know, a company that serves the entire market. You know, not every leasing company is like that. So that's, that's something that, so just in terms of the different challenges in those markets and what to understand the differences are. Yeah, and I, I want to actually touch on that a little bit more because one of the things that, that seems to come up a lot, there's a lot of folks in the space that say, we're a direct lender, and that that's part of their pitch uh, to you as a vendor. And I would say 90% of companies that say we're a direct lender, they may fund, be the direct funder for 20 to 25% of their transactions, but because there's so many different ways to slice transactions and so many different types of equipment that are restricted by some lenders and not others, number one, a vendor usually is not best served dealing with somebody that only funds their own transactions because if they're running their portfolio properly, they're going to turn down probably twice as many as somebody who maybe funded some of their own transactions, but 
also had a healthy network of what's called partners or is what's called a discounter. Uh, and I don't want to get too, too technical, but in general, most folks that tell you they're a direct lender are only sometimes a direct lender. Would you agree with that? Oh, it, it, I'm smiling as you're explaining because almost every leasing company website I go to or, or run into at a trade show, the first thing they market on their, on their marketing material is they're a direct lender. And, and you're exactly right. That's, that, that, not that that's a, a falsehood. They, they are on some level, but it may be, like you said, only 20 to 30 percent of their portfolio. Uh, taking that even a step further, if I was a vendor, I wouldn't even necessarily care where the money is coming from, whether it's sourced by the, a bank or if it's a, another partner of the leasing companies. Focus on the rates, focus on their process, focus on their service. Ultimately, the client, their, the end user probably doesn't care who's invoicing them every month for the monthly payment but they certainly care about the interest rate they secured and the service they, you know, they, they were provided. So, but I, I agree. I think in reality, <laughs> most leasing companies that we all, we run into, um, we're all syndicating on some level, which is actually good business. It's good to diversify your risk pool. Even, I mean, even Paramount, my company, I would say we're 50 to 60% direct, you know, the remaining 40% syndicated or brokered. And we, we have nothing to hide there. That's a good, we view that as a good thing. Absolutely. Being able to, so yeah so one of the as you know listening to the program one of the things we we highlight a lot because it's one of the biggest questions challenges and problems that people have when they're shopping for any any sort of business financing or what a vendor is looking for a partner any customer stories you can share about uh, sellers or, or customers being scammed and, and what to look out for yeah i think that's an important thing that touch on and, and, and actually all of us uh, customers vendors and leasing company leasing companies finance providers should, quite frankly even though sometimes it feels like we're working against each other we actually should be working jointly to sniff out fraud and make sure that no one's getting harmed vendors customers or leasing companies because it affects all of us okay. I'll give an, I'll give an example of a, a really tough situation we ran into recently in the last year and uh, you know just as, so it was a vendor it was a vendor committing fraud. So I won't I won't name the name I won't name the customer name because that's not appropriate. But sure. ultimately, it was a vendor that was marketing themselves as a distributor of a, a photo booth product. So for those that don't know, you know that have maybe attended a wedding or whatnot, it's you go into the kiosk, you you take some funny pictures, it prints out your pictures, and and that that industry, for example, you know whether they're event planners or even photographers, will acquire these machines and then rent them for weddings and other events like that. So it's a lucrative, it's becoming an up and coming industry and, uh, you know, lucrative for those that, that are already in that space, you know, doing weddings or event planning. Long story short, we had, we had solicited a variety of uh, equipment suppliers in that industry. We developed several partnerships. One of them without naming the name, good looking website. We did done in, we did a research on their, um, their company, just everything I shared earlier on this, uh, this, this call, this interview, they, um, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of their background, Dun & Bradstreet, Better Business Bureau, everything came up normal and good. And, we, and that's actually an important point, too, that leasing companies, Rob's company, my company, we, we credit, we do credit research on the vendor just almost as much as the customer. We want to, we want to protect our customers to make sure, you know, they're not running into challenges to the best of our ability. But long story short, to share a fraudulent scenario, well, I guess I'll defer to Rob if he thinks it was fraud. Customer agreed to buy equipment. We agreed to finance it. Vendor agreed to ship it. We facilitated the contract as you know quickly. Client received the equipment. So here's the problem. 
it was our first transaction with, and this is a lesson for leasing companies listen, listening as well. The vendor required 100% full payment. We as a direct lender and even our syndication lines, we have the ability to prepay vendors as Rob's company does as well. We honored what the vendor wanted and the customer agreed to it. It wasn't anything, you know, everyone was in agreement. We prepaid the vendor, the vendor shipped. So here's where it gets squirrely. Essentially, the, the vendor did not ship the customer exactly what he had requested. It was essentially a, a knockoff. It was the website looked like this wonderful piece of equipment. Essentially, it was something that should have been retail $10,000. What they received was a knockoff from China that was probably, you know, worth $500. And it was clear from a basic web search after looking at the equipment, you know, where they got it and not what the client agreed to. But the challenge we, we faced, and, and we, we worked out a resolution, which I won't get into today, is the vendor was prepaid. And then at that point, the client was on, you know, on the hook, and they, they contractually know they were, but they, they didn't get what they want, they agreed to. And the vendor, being unethical, wasn't willing to, to make any changes. So whether that's fraud, I think that's a good example of my point of that story, and I think it's, it's very important to share that story, is as you, if you start a new vendor relationship where you're working with a vendor for the first time, you may want to guide your customer because to say, you know what, let's not prepay this vendor. This is the first, be honest and say, this is our first transaction with this vendor. We want to protect you uh, and us from any, any, you know, what we should have done in hindsight is only offer 50% maybe, you know, most vendors require some money down, sure. make sure that everything was on the up and up. And of course, now we don't work with that vendor. The customer's not mad at us. He's, he's mad at the vendor. But ultimately, that was a good, good learning experience. We've had other situations. I won't go into too much depth, like the last last comments, but we're just outright fraud. We're vendor and customer. We're working together, and a red flag is when a when a vendor solicits us. You know, just randomly. Again, our business is an out an output to to facilitate uh, relationships. So when a vendor is calling us aggressively to work with us, just another red flag to the leasing broker and finance community, that's, that's, that's a red flag, at least to us. Ultimately, we've had some situations where we've been aggressively solicited by a vendor wanting to do business with us, which, as you can imagine, salespeople love those inbound calls in general. But um, that led – we have had some situations where a vendor and customer were in cahoots, and everything was fraud. There was no equipment involved, and, they, and we, we sniffed it out before we released any monies, and, and we've notified. And there are some – some great industry watchdog groups. Um, there's one called Lease Police. I think it's just leasepolice.com where you can actually report, you know, bad behavior on both vendors and customers. And, and, and if you're, I don't work for them. I'm not, I'm only promoting them because they do a good job, but there's, there's groups like that, that you, if you're affiliated with them and you're running your first transaction, you could do some due diligence and see if a vendor or customer has a, has a rap sheet, I guess is the way to describe it. So that's a great. That is, so I, I can go on and on. The good news, though, Rob, to turn it into a positive thought is, you know, 99 out of 100 transactions are normal and good. It, it is rare we run into truly unethical people, but those those are the challenges we do face and the risk we face as, as both being in the, the lending industry. Sure. So when a when a vendor's looking at, at a leasing company, as you and I both know, it, it drives us both insane that. that uh, <laughs> I, I know that I get plenty of calls from folks that either have been uh, ripped off by a leasing or equipment financing company or are pretty sure that they're going to be ripped off, but they're not quite sure and they just want validation. How can folks avoid that? How can folks sniff out uh, other than just looking at the, you know, obviously you can look at the BBB 
or, you know, plus company plus scams. Any other telltale signs that uh, you see your customers run across that says be careful of these guys? Yeah, you know, and you and I have talked, you know, you know, just in general about the challenge in our industry. One thing I'll share to your listeners is that the challenge that Rob and I face and others that have made this our career and take it very seriously is there's not that much barrier to entry to becoming a leasing or finance broker, which is a negative, right? Because in general, more licensing, you know, you're going to hopefully weed out more bad apples. So unfortunately, Rob and I talk, have talked about it quite a bit. There are, there's a lot of good apples, but there, unfortunately, we've both run into a lot of bad apples that just flat out lie uh, in terms of what rates and terms are available and what programs are available. So with that in mind, and, and, and I do have some, some tips for your listeners, especially customers that are maybe right now negotiating a lease with a, with a leasing company or bank. Number one, don't ever sign a I call it a pre-closed letter. Some leasing, some bad apple leasing company will send out a, they'll call it a commitment letter or pre-approval letter, and they'll ask you to sign off on this wonderful interest rate of say seven, six, seven percent, which is really low in our industry. And then, but in the fine print of that proposal, they'll say if we can't secure this approval and the payment comes back and it's equal to thirty percent interest, we're going to keep your fifteen hundred dollar deposit, and yeah. that's just how it is. So. So number one, to give you tip, tips to listeners, is good, good ethical leasing companies like Rob's company, my company, and many others don't require any type of pre-documentation or initial monies up front. That's a red flag. If, if someone is asking you to sign something like that, especially asking you to, for money, the answer is no. Um, you will only provide a deposit with the final contract. And taking that a step further to protect your listeners from being robbed, make the lender leasing company, whatever it is, bank leasing company, put in writing that if you send them a deposit, even with a signed contract, and, it, and if that customer ultimately decides not to acquire that equipment for whatever reason, a good leasing company will re- return their money. I mean, even contractually, even our contract says, you know, ultimately we have the right to retain the deposit, but there's the letter of the law and then there's the spirit of the law. And, and if, you want to re- if you want to cultivate good customer relationships, you're not going to keep someone's deposit unnecessarily. So that's, I guess, red flag number one. Let me let me um, let me bring something up because uh, some of our funding sources do, in fact, after a pre-approval, require sure. prepayment of doc fees. But it's usually not thousands, of, or it's never thousands of dollars. Usually, you know, it's typically three to five hundred dollars, and that's okay. before putting something into several hours of underwriting to uh-huh. do, do the documentation. However, what we do with our customers when we are asking for any upfront money is we spell out in writing and not in some legalese that nobody but a lawyer can understand uh, (laughs) is literally if we cannot fund this transaction or cannot fund this transaction at the price we tell you or for any other reason other than you, like for instance, if you get the documents and you back out, yeah, you know, that, that, you know, several hours worth of work to get a transaction to the finish line. It doesn't close. You know, usually 99% of the time we, well, let, let me say, we have never once kept a document fee ever. However, there are a lot of ethical brokers out there that ask for a few hundred dollars in documentation fees, uh, oftentimes because their funding sources are requiring it. But first and last payment plus fees is really a big red flag. Couldn't agree more, and I appreciate you adding that clarification. You're right. I mean, a nominal documentation fee 
in certain circumstances, and actually some, like you said, some underwriting banks require that. That's normal. I'm talking about the extreme asking for a two to $3,000 security deposit to finance $30,000 in equipment um, off, of, off of a two-paragraph you know, proposal letter. That's yes. I'm thinking. I'm, so, so yes, I, I appreciate you clarifying that. That's I want to make sure we're not uh, <laughs> disparaging those that are doing business the right way. But more, just as or more important, when you do receive another comment or red flag to share is when you receive that final contract from the leasing company. You know, I hate to say it this way, but be skeptical. Um, you know, send it to your accountants and or your lawyer to review the both the financial and the legal terms. Make sure you have a. I mean, I'll even I'll criticize myself. I mean, I've signed off on a mortgage where I didn't read all 30 pages. I mean, you just assume everyone's working in your best interest. So I'm I'm just as guilty as customers that don't read the fine print. So I guess my point is read the fine print. And then, you know, especially if it's not your expertise, I mean, you're not a contract lawyer, you know, send it to a professional, even send it to, I mean, what I love about Rob, Rob is he's got a, his website and his company. He, he and I would do the same for, for, for any customer, even someone that's not our customer, you know, just as an advocate in the industry to help people. So just lean on a, a someone that is in the industry or someone that's a legal professional, make sure you're not, there's no um, evergreen clauses, meaning leases could be auto renewed. Make sure you understand the buyout of the lease. I won't get into too much of that on this, on this uh, discussion, but whatever you were promised in terms of how the lease will end, make sure that's what the contract reflects. Those are some major red flags. And then my last point on that is just trust your gut. I mean, uh, the way Rob does business, the way I do business, there's no pressure. We're trying to educate people. We want your business, but we're going to present our terms and, and get you the best deal we can, and we have to make profit as well. But you're not going to be, we're not going to create pressure. So if you're getting, you know, you know, that high pressure sales tactic maneuver from the vendor or the cut or the leasing company, probably trust your gut and, and back away from that deal. It's, it's probably, something's probably not right. And I, I should, you know, I, that's how I operate myself in my own consumer life. So those are, those are a few points, Rob, on, on that topic. Absolutely agree. So speaking of profits, on the vendor side, so a vendor's going to get together with a, an equipment leasing or financing company. Should they expect kickbacks? Great, great question, and, and, and actually a huge challenge we face as we create vendor relationships. Should a vendor, black and white, expect kickbacks? I would say in general, no, and let me explain that answer. And by the way, it's a debatable point. I'm not – I don't think I'm <laughs> – I'm right on everything. That's for sure. Ask my wife. But um, in, in general, for, if, if you're a vendor and you're asking a leasing company for a commission or referral fee or whatever you want to call it, keep in mind that has to be built in somewhere. Most likely, the leasing company is not out of the goodness of their heart paying you a fee out of their own internal commissions. Most likely, they're building it into the sale. So, for example, if the interest rate would have been – I'm just going to make up a number. If the interest rate to the customer would have been 8% and you're asking for a $500 fee or a $1,000 fee from the leasing company, which they can agree to pay, most likely your customer's interest rate is going to go from 8 to 9 or 9 and a quarter or whatever the, whatever the effect on the rate is. So, with that in mind, what I always – talk to vendors about and, and have an honest conversation is, can leasing companies and could Paramount and could Rob's company, could we pay your referral for? Yes, we could, but the money's going to come from somewhere. Now, that being said, should a vendor be rewarded for referred business? I think so. And there's other ways of doing it. For example, you know, vendors, equipment suppliers exhibit at trade shows. You know, they, they, may, they to exhibit at a trade show, even a small booth, a 10 by 10 booth could cost five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars well, you, what about you know another way to uh, supporting your vendors and contributing to that booth? I mean, if they're 
they're exhibiting their equipment and they're going to be referring you their customers, that's a way to invest in your in your vendor and, and not only not only pay for it, but be there, be present to help them facilitate sales. Uh, and, and then we do at Paramount. We do contests, you know, whether it's monthly or quarterly, and, and you know, send out gift cards to vendors and salespeople. Of course, all approved by the the company. So, in general, to answer your question, I mean, it is common. I would say very common for vendors to ask. There's nothing negative about it. I mean, there's no rules in our industry about paying paying vendors uh, a fee, but we just take an honest approach of we can do it. But it's good, you know, ultimately it's going to be more expensive for your customer, most likely. Therefore, let's let's do it in other ways. And, and most gotcha. vendors we work with have view that as reasonable. But do we pay referral fees? Yes, we do. And, and not, you know, certain relationships where there's high volume and vendors should be rewarded depending on the circumstance. So that's a lot of, lot of, a long-winded answer there. But there's a lot to that uh, topic. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'll just add for you know, I, I know that. Uh, some some brokers probably who are new in the leasing business who are re- going to be really excited when they first get the vendors to talk to them. I re- I remember those <laughs> days where you just couldn't believe you finally got someone to talk to you, right? The right. vendors to be a little bit skeptical of are the ones that immediately start like their first or second question will be how much you're going to grease them. Those are the guys <laughs> you want to be. And also, Craig also touched on the vendors that are just coming after you. Think about like an online dating thing. I've been married <laughs> a long time, uh, so I haven't thought about that in years and years and years. But if you're uh, doing online dating and someone who barely knows you is coming after you and coming after you and coming after you, when you know they have a thousand other choices – that's something to steer really clear of. And what I've found is our really good vendor relationships, sometimes compensation gets brought up. I mean, definitely. I mean, everybody's in business to make a profit, but it shouldn't be the first thing on their mind. And that's where you should start really sniffing that, oh, I don't know about, you know, and I know it's tough if, if you, if you, if you're struggling and you, you desperately need the business, but, uh, when, when they're coming right at you, how much money are you going to pay me? That's, you know, really something to be steer clear of. I, I'm really glad you, you pointed that out because going back to our earlier part of this conversation, you know, what vendors should really be focused on is what are the least comes rates, process, and service, right? How are they going to benefit my business if it's solely about compensation? They, they don't really necessarily, then they don't care about the rates. Service and then that's a that should be a concern that you're probably going to reflect on the customers that are referring to you and and the type of you know transactions you'll be running into. So could couldn't agree more. Definitely a challenging though. You, I empathize as you said for newer brokers or newer salespeople. Um, we're all hungry for business. So when a, you know it's a, that's a challenge, you don't want to turn away an opportunity. That definitely a tough a tough one. We struggle with that at Paramount of make, keeping those vendors happy. Absolutely. So a- any other tips for the for the listeners? Anything our listeners would uh, have a better day if they heard? <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll leave I'll, I'll leave you with this parting thought just in terms of uh, since this this discussion was about, you know, vendor business and, and, and the leasing company associated with vendors is I'll, I'll leave your listeners with this last thought. If you if you're working with an equipment supplier and they refer you to their leasing partner, of course, you should consider them, but out of your basically to keep them honest and and also to get yourself the best deal, get get some outside quotes and and be very be very vocal about that to both your vendor and your leasing company, especially if the leasing company was referred, because 
I'll tell you this right now, and I've won a lot of vendor relationships doing just this. If if customer Smith John Smith gets a second quote from from Rob at Smarter Finance, and Rob beats the existing leasing company's rates, that vendor is going to be highly interested in working with with Rob <laughs> or Craig at Paramount. So it's it's to keep to get your the best deal you can and to keep everybody honest. Get more than one quote. Don't don't just go with the vendor's referral to the leasing company. You know, get some other quotes. Get yourself the best deal. And uh, you know, keep everyone you know competitive. So I'll, I'll leave Rob. That's my my parting thought. And I really want to thank you for having me. And uh, really enjoy, what, appreciate what you do for our industry. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for coming on the call, Craig. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Smarter Business Finance Podcast with your host, Rob Micheloff. Online at SmarterFinanceUSA.com, Twitter at SmarterFinanceU, and on Facebook.com slash SmarterFinanceUSA. We'll catch you next time.